So, uh, welcome to episode three of the PHP Town Hall. Uh, we did it, we made it to the third. This isn't a flop just yet. Um, we, uh, I've realised I'm really bad at introducing people on the show. Um, I haven't introduced myself. I'm, I'm Phil Sturgeon. Um, I'm a PHP developer. Uh, used to be involved with, with CodeIgniter and Fuel PHP and a few other projects. Um, but now I, uh, now I do a lot of random PHP and Python and all sorts of stuff. Um, my co-host, Ben Edmonds, is back again. Uh, would like to introduce yourself, Ben? Hey, I'm Ben Edmonds. I work for KGS doing R&D for a team that builds web apps for the Department of Defense Intelligence Community. I'm uh, pretty involved with PHP, mostly using CodeIgniter and Laravel. I created the IonAuth library for CodeIgniter. And these days I do mostly JavaScript with a little PHP and Ruby thrown in there. Um, so we've been joined by two awesome guests today. Um, we have Media, uh, Media Girl, Anna. I know, I've forgotten your surname. <laughs> Brown, Anna Brown. Anna Brown. I'm so used to calling everyone by their Twitter handles. My apology. <laughs> um, could you give us a quick introduction about yourself? Sure. I'm in uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. I'm a longtime um, member of the Pro Network, which now is sort of in limbo, but um, the Expression Engine Pro Network. Um, I've been doing Expression Engine development for about seven, seven plus years at this point. I'm a front-end developer. I really just work for agencies um, doing the coding uh, back part of things. Cool. Uh, and Chris, uh, Chris Hartjess, otherwise known as Grumpy Programmer, uh, what, what do you do? Uh, so yeah, so um, by daytime I work uh, for a company based out of Buffalo, uh, New York, but actually I get to work from home in my uh, awesome fortress of grumpitude in the basement of my house. Uh, so by, by day I'm a principal engineer for Cinecore. We do a lot of uh, content integration for cable companies and um, ISPs and telcos. And by uh, night or during the day when I can fit it in, I blast out all sorts of content on Twitter via my um, Grumpy Programmer handle. Uh, I specialize in promoting unit testing, other testing best practices. I write books. I give online courses. I'm starting to do screencasts. I'm a one-man info product machine. Um, yeah, and, and to speak for the quality of your books, I've actually got one sat uh, about two meters away from me. Uh, it's a very good read. It's the, um, the Guide to Testable Applications, or, or I think that was the name of it. The introduction, at least, the, the, the smaller book. Yeah, that was my first book, and I have another... Well, actually, technically, it's my second book. My first book, I did a self-published guide to refactoring applications if you're using Cake PHP. And I apologize for all the background noise. I'm in a hotel room in Buffalo, and there's traffic outside, and the... And the in-room heating and cooling system just likes to seem to randomly turn itself off and on. So we, if you hear weird noises, it's probably just just ambient background noise. Uh, and so and so the newest book that I'm working on is a PHP unit cookbook because I get lots of questions about people asking me how to use PHP unit. And I'm sick of answering them, so I'm going to write a book yeah, and say, "Go buy my book." And then uh, well, that's, ask that's me we're going to be asking you a whole bunch of questions about unit testing today. So um, suck it. Sorry about that. Um, but first, uh, so Anna, uh, there's been some interesting happenings in the Expression Engine community recently. Uh, would you like to talk about, you know, what, why you're here and, and what you're here to, to talk about? Okay, sure. Well, um, primarily I'm here to advocate that all Expression Engine developers start using the new Stack Exchange site um, for support, well, at least for peer-to-peer -peer support. Um, I've, I've wanted this website for years, honestly. Um, 
I have felt like there's a big void for developers, um, developer to developer support, um, which I frankly need uh, more than I need um, uh, support from LS Lab. Um, so uh, we had um, EECI this, uh, I guess, in October, um, which is the annual Expression Engine conference. And um, during that conference, um, Patrick, one of the, the Expression Engine developers in our community, um, uh, proposed the Stack Exchange site for Expression Engine, and it just took off in popularity. So it's been proposed probably three or four times before in the last six, seven years, and um, hasn't taken off. But for some reason, this time it did, probably because it happened right after the conference, and we were all quite energized. Um, so conveniently enough, it ha it happened very quickly. We got to beta. A uh, public beta is now in place and um, it's sort of perfect timing because Ellis uh, Lab just moved to their paid support. So, right. So, so I, I noticed this. Quite it, quite the, the, yeah, the Stack Exchange um, is on Area 51 at the moment, isn't it? And there's a beta going and, and it was proposed uh, a month ago uh, by Patrick and then two weeks later Ellis Lab announced that they're now basically paid support only apart from one or two small, very crowded forums on their main site. Yep. It's sort of amazing. So the, the site is at expressionengine.stackexchange.com. Um, we have, uh, let's see, almost 600 users um, registered on the site. We have uh, 417 questions as of right now with almost 1,000 answers. Um, so great numbers. About 97% of the questions are getting answered. Yeah, 98% so far. I'm looking at the stats. It's very impressive. There's yeah, a, it really so is. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't meaning to correct you there. That was a silly little thing to say. But you know what I mean? It, it's doing very well. They, there's like 740 visits a day and there's like, you know, almost 20 questions a day. So it's looking like it's getting pretty healthy. Yeah. Uh, what, is it, what is it that can that the, the people listening, if they care about Expression Engine, uh, what is it they can do to, to help make this uh, actually happen? Just register, sign up, tell their friends? Yeah, I, I mean, I think at this point, the numbers are in place where it's going to happen. Um, so we need more support, more questions, more people answering, uh, more users getting to that 200 rep mark and um, even up into the thousands of rep mark. Um, we have a couple really aggressive users who are, um, um, you know, they're just the, the people really out there promoting it and um, they're up in the thousand plus uh, rep range at this point. So we do need people at that higher level of rep to um, just to be strong advocates so they can review questions. Um, we'll be selecting mo moderators probably in the near future and just people to really be the stewards of the site and take it to that next level. But just every day to users, we need definitely more people to register. Um, it's a great place to get support for those sort of day-to-day how-to questions. Um, uh, existing people who are registered already just keep answering and asking questions. Gotcha. And why is it you, that you think, it's probably a silly question, but why is it you think that the Stack Overflow um, format is a much better uh, method of, of giving support than, say, the forums they have on the LS Lab website? Right. Well, um, in my day-to-day -day development life, I'm a front-end front -end developer. I, I find that when I need support, I go to Google first, and inevitably the first or second link that comes up is Stack Overflow. So obviously, um, it's just an amazing resource for um, Q&A. Um, for developers, uh, sort of for everybody who uses it, but specifically for me, um, it's been a great resource for just finding the answers to questions that I have. Um, so for 
developers, it's a great place, or sorry, for, well, for developers, it's a great place to put those questions um, and get very quick answers. Um, we can upvote questions, which is, or excuse me, upvote the answers, um, which uh, makes that answer really flow to the top of the list. Um, so it, it's just been a great resource so far. I know that a lot of people actually have found questions that answer their question without even having to post it already. So with, with almost 420 questions, um, there's answers already there for people. Nice. Well, that's yeah. The the upvotes is the main uh, the main part of Stack Overflow, right? I mean, you, you can when you have a, a forum thread, you're looking for an answer, and you have to scroll through four or five pages of people having a little random chat about stuff. And then sometimes the answers in the middle, sometimes the answers at the end. Sometimes people have tacked on other random questions to the end instead of actually asking. You know, it, it's just a really hard way to find it. You have to look through pages just to see what's going on. So it is. Um, so those answers flow to the top. Plus, as a person asking the question, when you've uh, found an answer that answers your question, you can select it as the correct answer. So then that, I guess, locks itself to the top of the all the answers. So the next person coming down the road gets the answer quickly, and we can get on with our development. Yep, fair enough. Yep. Uh, that, I mean, that's, that's the best part about PHP is like whenever you have a problem, you just Google it and Stack Overflow answers your problems, right? right. So <laughs> right. If, if expression engine users can get those, then maybe they don't have to pay 250 bucks for a ticket to get answered within the next day or two or whatever the problem is. Yeah, and, th and as we add more questions, then Google's going to archive those. So definitely the more questions we can get in here, the, the better those Google results will be. Right. I mean, what are your feelings on the, the recent change to basically paid support only? Well, I don't know that I have a very strong opinion about it. Um, you know, all the changes are definitely difficult for for everybody. Um, they're difficult for me because I don't like change very much. <laughs> <laughs> change is so, bad. Well, I don't. It just. I, so I don't know. I'm having a lot of mixed feelings about um, the changes in general. But you know, if good things come out of it, then change is fine. Um, related to support, I I really never did use the forums. Um, you know, I did when I first started <laughs> so developing. <laughs> well, I I didn't use them because they they weren't. I didn't need um, first. Uh, I didn't need support from Ellis Lab. I needed developers to support me. My questions weren't ones um, specific to how does Expression Engine work or why is this native functionality broken. It was always uh, my questions are really related probably to add-ons. Um, I mean, at this point in my career, I've just worked with Expression Engine enough that. The, the, the normal things that a user gets stuck on or a beginning user aren't things that I get stuck on. So um, I need be better peer support. And so Stack Exchange offers that option for me. So it's, it's, it's superior than the forums, in my opinion, for that. Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, so opening this up to um, the other guys there, Ben and Chris, um, I mean... So paid support is nothing new, and the fact that Expression Engine wants to offer paid support, it should not be mind-boggling. It's, it's not that big of a deal. Um, I mean, WordPress is currently making $46 million in revenue every year through their paid support, and PyroCMS is looking to do something fairly similar. Um, but how do you guys feel about the, like, the pricing structure and the waiting times? Like, if you've got a real problem with your website, and you're, you're paying 50 bucks a month for this support, and you, um, and you have a problem with your website, and it's broken on... Uh, Thursday afternoon. If you have to wait two business uh, two business days, then that's that could end up being Monday. <laughs> so your website's been down for like four days. How much does that suck? 
Absolutely. Well, Tim, it's, I'm going to interrupt because to me, it's it's just not an option as a developer to have two day turnaround time. So to have that Stack Exchange site and to get turnaround times for questions in minutes, if you know, if really it's sort of minutes. Um, That's it, the thing. It's, it's, it can't. You can't just say that it's a two day work, uh, two day turnaround, is it? Because if if it rolls over into the weekend, then screw you for another two days. So yeah. it's Potentially a four day issue, and which is scary. Right. My world in the web world does not exist. <laughs> does not function in days. I mean, my world is in minutes and hours. It's not in days. So I need immediate support for whatever I'm doing. Yeah, one of the big this has been here. One of the big things to me is E's not known for being the most bug-free CMS either. So what happens when you encounter a bug? And I haven't heard any news on them on you know like a, a big push to get the bugs fixed either. Right. I mean, I was looking at the um, some of the forums today, and uh, there's a lot of noise in there about um, I've just upgraded to PHP 5.3 and my 2.5 point something doesn't work anymore, which is really concerning. Like so. In full honesty, Piracy MS has a couple of issues here and there with the latest version on PHP 5.4, but that's an incredibly new version. But if they haven't currently got PHP 5.3 fixed, that's that's a lot of bugs that people are going to have to try and work their way through as they upgrade to the, the current version of PHP, right? And if they have to pay $250 just because they've upgraded their, their server, that's a little bit unfair, I'd have thought. Yeah, I think, um, you know, really the, the biggest thing is change is always hard for people. But if you at least make them feel like they're a part of the process and make it a real process, it makes it easier on everybody. But, um, you know, to just kind of drop all these monumental changes in one night and say deal with it is, that's what's getting them the biggest community backlash, in my opinion. I, I would agree with that. It was all quite shocking for people. <laughs> there was quite a lot of discussion on Twitter and sort of an uproar. It just, it sort of was too much change, in my opinion. Um, a lot of other companies do a lot more prep work and just lay the groundwork for big changes like this, and I didn't, I was surprised not to have seen that. Um, with these level of changes. I think that was the problem as well. It was, um, boom, here's a new website. Here's a new pricing structure. We've got rid of the cheap ones if you're a freelancer. You're, you can, yeah. you know, even if you're paying full price, then you have to pay more now. Uh, we've got rid of, you know, uh, Leslie seems to have vanished off the face of the earth, bless him, and now Derek Jones is in charge, and it was just bang, right. bang, 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 changes. It what really was. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> Quite elaborate changes. Chris, do you have anything to throw in, or...? I have really mixed feelings about um, paid support for things because you get that exact problem you're talking about. If they say, oh, we can guarantee you two business days, like we said, the web moves at warp speed. In two business days, you're, you could be out of business because you're unable to help your customers. So um, I'm not a type of guy who fears change. So people making big changes uh, in companies, especially commercial-based ones, that it sort of strikes me as kind of, no, you know, standard operating procedure. They have things they want to do, and they're trying to balance uh, impact to their customers. Or sometimes maybe it's just a big fuck you. They don't care. They're like, we're changing this, and you can just you can just suck it because we've changed it, and there's nothing you can do about it. And if you don't like our product anymore, well, you can go off and use something else. I don't disagree with that. I would say that Expression Engine, uh, the community has not been that community, and then our relationship with Ellis Lab in for you know so many years has not been that relationship so i don't think it's a fuck you but i do think it was quite a large change that wasn't communicated to to their customers i mean we as the developers technically are their customers yeah um, i disagree i mean i think it is pretty much a fuck you especially to the pro network really 
Oh, well, that I think that's coming. My understanding is that's coming back, so it'll just be a little different. But I'll be saying it's coming back after, you know, everyone the uproar. kicked your ass about it isn't exactly, you know, saying that you cared from the start. I um, agree with that. <laughs> yeah, so like if you saw this lab, like, from the past, they kind of have this M.O. of not really giving a shit. And they've got this great community. Everybody loves them, or at least loves their products, but they really don't seem to care about the community. They just kind of push back against the community. Um, I don't know, it's really kind of sad to watch, because they could be so much more powerful if they would just really embrace their community. Yeah, I guess a part of that comes back to mine and Ben's uh, history of, of both being Codeigniter developers. Uh, obviously, me being a Codeigniter reactor, like core contributor, whatever you want to call it, on the actual Codeigniter project, um, we've we've seen a lot of these issues in the past where LS Lab do things slightly differently from the average company. Um, like when it comes down to Codeigniter three, it was like, oh, by the way, guys, we just changed the license. Have fun with that which I think is technically illegal. It was never like, oh, hey, guys, we're going to change the license. It was like, boom, we changed it. Live with that, right? And that's a massive issue. Um, there's been other problems like, um, oh, yeah, we've just dumped this whole brand new documentation structure into, into the next, like, into the develop branch. So uh, we can't ever release another version of, of CodingLighter until we've finished working on this doc new documentation, which currently doesn't have any design whatsoever and is completely unfinished. And there's just been all these sort of things that have seemed slightly unlogical that when you question them about it, you don't really get very far. Um, so I don't know, it's a bit of a tough one. And I, I, I don't think they ask their community enough about what they'd like to see. I think they just do stuff and then deal with the problems afterwards. Well, I would agree that that does seem like the MO in recent, in, probably in the past year, for sure. I mean, in the end, Ellis Labs is a business, right? And they're trying to do things that they think will provide them um, with the most benefits to their business. And oftentimes the decisions, they appear strange to, to developers and other people who use their tools, but they've thought about it. And, you know, if they're not sharing their thought processes, well, sucks to be people who depend on their stuff. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Ellis Labs has always seemed to me, as a person who just peripherally used CodeIgniter, it kind of seemed like Expression Engine was their baby and they weren't going to do anything to mess up the cash flow to do with Expression Engine. And CodeIgniter was just a happy accident from extracting functionality out of Expression Engine that might be useful to other people. So if you view everything through the lens of Ellis Labs is out to make money off of Expression Engine, then maybe some of their decisions uh, make more sense. No, that's that's exactly how I see it with with Codeigniter. I mean, the, the fact that the the, the, co the community has been doing a really good job with with Codeigniter. I, I only quit about a month ago, and and until that point, we were m merging in so many changes from so many people. It was um, if you, I, I've got a little graph somewhere that basically shows how many commits went into every single version of Codeigniter since 1.2, which is four years old or something. Um, and it's basically somewhere between 30 and 60 commits for every version uh, that is ever released. And version 3 has currently got like over 3,000 commits. It's insane. The community is doing a really good job. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the LS Lab uh, Expression Engine is still currently using a year, a year old version of CodingLighter. So all these amazing new features are coming in. Um, and they're being, you know, they're being provided by the community, but they're just not taking them in because I, I don't think they really care about Code Knight all that much anymore. They haven't put a single commit in themselves either, I suppose. So that, that's another sign. Uh, I, I mean, my my interpretation of what's been going on is they sort of have been distracted with this sort of 
business reconstruction. <laughs> I mean, they've they've essentially looked at the business from the ground up and and shifted quite a bit of things. So if that's what they've been doing for the last year, that's been a distraction from actual coding and core code and bug, bug fixes. So now that this implementation of this new structure of how to do business is done, hopefully we'll see quite a bit more focus on, on bugs in Expression Engine and, and Code Igniter code. I mean, I, that's what I would hope that we see. Absolutely. No, that, sounds, that sounds very reasonable, and I hope, I hope that it goes that way. It'd be amazing to see, you know, It'd be amazing to see LS Lab picking up uh, picking up the reins on Code Nighter and, and and doing a bit more work and, and caring. <laughs> uh, I think is the main thing. Um, and yeah, so I, I hope this uh, this this uh, uh, Stack Exchange system goes off really well. And it, you guys, if you're listening, if you are a Expression Engine user yourself, if you have friends that are Expression Engine users, then go. Um, we'll put the link in the show notes to the Area Fifty One Stack Exchange thing, so you can you can go there, you can register and uh, and sign up and, and try and answer a few questions. Like really try and get this thing going. Um, I've got a lot of friends that use Expression Engine. I've signed up and I've tried helping out, however I can, just so my friends aren't stuck without any support unless they pay for it. Um, Anna, if I remember correctly, you had to, to shoot off and you don't really want to hang out with us nerds while we talk about unit testing, is that right? Yeah, I don't know anything about unit testing, so <laughs> that's not my specialty. Yeah, neither do the people who build CodeIgniter. Great! <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for having me on. and um, Excellent, thank you for coming on. Forward to seeing everybody on Stack Exchange. Thanks again. Right, so one of the questions we had uh, from, um, uh, from Don Gilbert, uh, I think I got the name right. I'm really bad with names. We had a question which was, um, uh, what is... I, I, I think I remembered it right. Yeah, I think it was Don Gilbert. Uh, his hash, uh, Twitter handle is at uh, Dilbert for life. Um, good guy. I've met him in person. I'm sorry for forgetting your name, dude. Um, he was asking us, what is IOC and why should we care? And I'd like to give this question to the one and only unit testing master, um, Chris. Well, just so I knew exactly what I was talking about, I did do a quick uh, peek on um, Wikipedia to make sure um, make sure that I understood the actual term inversion of control because that's what IOC kind of stands for. Since I kind of, having self-taught myself all this testing thing, sometimes my labels probably aren't the correct one. So if I can explain inversion of control in a way that kind of makes sense to me, it's the idea that uh, if you have, especially in the context of objects, you're kind of, I think the fancy wording on the website is you're, you're binding dependencies at assembly time, which is a fancy way of saying, especially in PHP, that if you have an object, you are passing dependencies into the object, either at, either at the time you create that object or after the object has been created using like setter injections. People, if they've done any kind of work with objects, you you have people in two camps of the people who love to use the getters and setters and people who love to shove everything into objects using the constructor. I'm like a constructor injection type of guy. So what inversion control does by, it, it basically, you're, you're basically saying whatever dependencies my object has, I want to pass them in and I tell uh, this object how to use those dependencies but not how to create them. And the reason why, from a testing perspective, that's important, it allows you to write tests where you can create dependencies in a known state, inject those dependencies into the code you're trying to test, and then you can run all your tests to make sure that things are behaving the way that they expect. I know that's kind of a 
it's a gross oversimplification, but that's I think that's the best way to explain it. It's all about inversion control is all about managing dependencies that code has. Yeah, so I, you know I'll talk to people that have the same question. So maybe you could kind of take a scenario here. So you've got somebody that's you know just start to unit test. Why should they even worry about an IOC? You know, maybe lay out a so it's not just you know words explaining it. Maybe lay out a whole scenario so they could see how they might apply it. Well, the reason that, the reason you want to worry about IOC is because you're you're trying to control the state of your object in terms of a test because you create scenarios of functionality that you want to test for, and if you don't have the ability to pass dependencies into an object that you're testing, then you have no way of actually controlling the scenario. You won't be able to say, "I want." Let, let's take a sim Let's say we have three objects: foo, bar, and baz. Right. So you're trying to test the baz object, and the baz object uses the foo and uses the bar, and you have some code in there in one of the methods that's doing conditional things based on the state of foo and the state of bar. If you cannot use inversion of control to say, okay, baz, here is a foo in a specific state, here's a bar in a specific state, now go, go do whatever your code needs to do and give me back the result, you have no way of replicating that situation and saying, oh, okay, if, if I set foo to have this property and bar to have this other property, when I inject them into baz and run some code, I have, I have no way to guarantee I'm going to get the results that I'm looking for. It's, it's, it's purely a, it, it, you can't really do unit testing without IOC. It just doesn't work, especially if any code that has dependencies, you have to have a way to inject those into your objects. Now, whether you do it through the constructor or um, people like to use uh, dependency injection containers or service locators, that type of thing. You just need a way to basically say, here's all your dependencies. I know what state they're in so that when I ask you to do something with them, I can predict what the results are going to be for testing purposes. Does that make sense? It, it does make sense to me. Um, I've, I've, I won't admit that I know everything about dependency uh, injectors and dependency injection containers or the difference and the IOC container stuff. Um, I'm fairly new to the unit testing world, as Chris, I'm sure you'll notice from some of the code I've released over the last couple of years. Um, <laughs> I loved your quote about uh, Pyro CMS is the uh, the best untestable content management system you've come across. <laughs> I was uh, very flattered by that. But um, the one explanation of IOC that made a lot of sense was a screencast that Taylor Rotwell uh, released for um, for Laravel 4. And he makes a very good case of, of how it all works. Um, he's basically using IOC to um, inject uh, dependencies into a controller so he can then quite easily uh, run unit tests on his actual controllers. Now what I'd normally do when I unit test stuff, I, uh, I'm happy to write unit tests for various components. So um, you know, a, a Mongo driver would have its own components that would fake stuff and all these various different packages systems, you know, a HTTP class, they'd all have their own unit tests. But normally I just write uh, kind of behavioral tests to make sure that my controllers are working. So I hit this URL, are there any errors? Is this okay? But uh, here's an example of uh, using IOC to help make um, testable controllers was genius. Basically, in the, um, in the controller, you pass in various different objects into the constructor. So you use type hinting to say, I want a, uh, a user object, I want this other object, and you have these various things 
that you your controller requires, then uh, in the constructor you assign them to uh, this property, and then you interface with those throughout the rest of the controller, right? And then eventually you assign some stuff to the uh, to the view. Um, and what he was doing uh, was, if you're using mocking, you can fake what the what the construct does, uh, assign different stuff to the view, and then you assign all your mocks, and your controller continues to work in the exact same way, and then you can check that those values have been assigned to the view, um, and it, it just cuts out a lot of selenium overhead bullshit, allowing you to, to properly unit test a controller, all thanks to IOC. Uh, I think it's very clever stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's a very. I mean, that is kind of the classic um, case for for doing dependency injection because it, it's all. Uh, I mean, I gave a talk at work today about uh, test driven development, trying to from a higher level, uh, a team perspective, explaining about why it's such a good practice. And it's yeah, if your code if your code is structured in such a way that that it's that when you when you run it, it creates all its own dependencies by you know foo equals new slash grumpy slash foo you know just all that stuff where it's creating everything that it needs when you run it you can't test it you can't say i you know what happens if i pass in uh you know what you're trying to create all these scenarios that you can test for and, and hopefully they're kind of based on behavior that you've planned or they're based on bug reports that you've gotten for your application or your project or whatever so without that inversion of control without writing your code in such a way that it that you inject the dependencies that you, you can't test it. And so I, I kind of explain to people that it, the inversion of control goes hand in hand with dependency injection and uh, a nice computer science term, the law of Demeter, where you're basically saying, the summary of that is kind of like, you write code so that it knows how to use what you've given it, but doesn't know how to create it. So you're basically, you're basically your code is instructions on how to use something, and at assembly time, meaning instantiation, you simply pass it in the dependencies. So that way, for testing purposes, it, it doesn't need to know that you've passed in a mock database handle or a, or a, a mocked wrapper to speak to a third-party um, API. It doesn't care. It doesn't need to know. It just needs to know how to use what you've given it. And I think that's another another thing that um, comes into play here is that we are talking about the reason these things are useful is for unit testing. Uh, but I think it, it goes a long way beyond that as well. Um, in the same video that I'm talking about, I'll put it in the show notes, um, Taylor explains that uh, if you have a, instead of using statics everywhere, like a lot of people have started to do recently um, uh, in your controller, if you're using one of these um, IOC dependencies of a user object, then one good example would be instead of... Um, your, your, your user, you can use uh, interfaces to say, I expect these methods to be had. So he has basically a get most popular users array that comes back, right? Uh, instead of using like full on ORM with database fields and where's and all that shit in your controller, you put all of that behind a, um, a, behind a method. So you have a user model, which has been passed in as a dependency, uh, and you have a method that says get most whatever. And in the background, you can then quite easily switch that from being done by uh, uh, being ORM driven to um, your boss has just said, "Hey guys, I've heard Mongo is really web scale. Let's go and use that. Yay!" And you like you're forced into rewriting everything with Mongo. You don't actually have to change anything in your controllers, and your your same unit tests will still apply completely. So while a lot of this IOC stuff is only a lot of people talk about it as a useful thing just for unit testing. I think it's actually useful for uh, everything, <laughs> you know, for keeping your controllers dumb and, and lean um, and for keeping the logic elsewhere. IOC, I think, is a very powerful tool. Yeah, I, I agree, because by 
when you start separating the code out that way where you're passing dependencies around and things know how to use them but don't know how to create them, then yeah, the scenario that you're talking about where you need to actually change the back end uh, for a, whatever a model talks to, those things become trivial to implement because the code that calls it doesn't have to change. It just knows it's been given a user and it knows how to manipulate that user and everything else simply becomes an implementation detail. Uh, I, I find that the, that the stuff about doing testing it's one of these things that you really don't understand the benefits that it gives your code from pursuing a kind of a, I, I feel like test-driven is starting to be the wrong label, that more like test-centric is probably a better way to describe it. You quickly realize um, you, the benefits of having, uh, of the ability to inject dependencies in about how how the benefits you get from a bunch of loosely coupled modules and how the smaller your units of code are, the easier it is to combine them to do things. I, again, the, again, I'm starting to find that a lot of the, the stuff that's from the Unix philosophy of doing things, a bunch of small little single-purpose tools that you can then chain together to do some crazy shit, that really lends itself well to testing philosophy where my goal is always to reduce the code that I'm testing down to the smallest, the fewest number of lines as possible to achieve some sort of concrete functionality. And then your, op then your application just simply consists of wiring all these little things together to get them to do something for you. It's really, really changed my thoughts on using frameworks and, and about architectures and service-oriented stuff and just a kind of it makes me feel like there's a, a completely different way of building really powerful applications that I never really understood how to implement and well more like design, test and implement until I started really digging deep into dependency injection and 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 using tests to drive the design of things. It's a, it's amazing what you can do when you just kind of embrace a, a different way of thinking about how building your applications. Especially with PHP where you can really throw out frameworks if you if you want to and concentrate on using PHP for what it really is awesome at, which is glue that glues a bunch of APIs together because that's really what it is. Yeah, it's uh, the crazy glue. Uh, yeah, is it you call it online crazy glue. Yeah, internet crazy glue for gluing all the things together. But no, this is exactly it. And so, Chris, you run the Dev Hell podcast, and I've listened to it since you started, and it's it's always been fucking brilliant. But there's been a few times when I've just been sitting there at my computer, just going, "Wah, no, that's ah." When basically you've been, um, I completely agree with yourself and Ed Finkler's uh, views on uh, micro MVC where basically the framework should back the fuck off and just be like a, a wrapper and a framework and then let me code how I want to code, right? It should be very small and very lean. Um, and then I, I, I was annoyed to, to see you guys basically end up... Um, there was a lot of pushback against the PFP FIG, which I admittedly am part of. Not for um, me, though. Against sort of PSRs and things like that. Uh, but I think I think the, the FIG, the, the PSR that the FIG created... Uh, and and composer as a as a tool you know by the side which happens to support PSRs. I think all of those things, the whole composer, the whole packagist uh, system, are all completely on side with what you actually fundamentally believe. Where um, instead of having one framework to rule them all, you have like lots of these little packages and little components that are all very small. I, I kind of want to say dumb, um, but you know what I mean? Like very self-sufficient, small packages that don't care about anything else. They're not, um, they're not tightly coupled. They're not grouped together with loads of other packages. They're just, I want a HTTP class, bang, use Guzzle or Buzz or whatever else. And you have all of these small components and small packages that, that do their job and they do it very well and they don't try to be more than that. Um, and I think that's the way PHP is going. Um, 
So I guess my question is, do you... Firstly, I'm assuming you're a big fan of Composer. Secondly, are you for or against the, the PSR 0, 1, and I'm kind of against PSR 2, but are you for this whole situation? Are you for what the FIG is trying to do with their improvement of packages? Uh, absolutely. I think that um, a couple of years from now, the PHP community is going to look back and say Composer was the, that whole, the whole idea of Composer and, and um, packages and all that stuff was a turning point for the language. That it was clear that PHP development was leaning towards the use of monolith, uh, very large frameworks which are billing themselves as decoupled component libraries when they are in no way, shape, or form anything remotely resembling that. And the idea that that the, a lot of people have been putting a lot of effort into coming up with a way to easily integrate other people's libraries into your own code is a good thing. I'm, I, I, Ed is the one that has a problem with all this PSR zero and all stuff. I look at this as someone who has worked on, worked on and used a zillion different frameworks and um, that this is a good thing. That if, if you disagree with PSR zero and PSR one and PSR two, well, you know what? You're free not to use them, but you need to understand the context of what they're trying to achieve and what they're hoping to do. I, I mean, I really think that, I've really started to think that PHP's role is glue. And that's not going to change. And if you look at a lot of, um, what's the correct word, the elders of PHP, that's what they use it for. They're not using frameworks. They're, a lot of them are not. They're saying, I have a bunch of APIs. And in, ways, in many ways, PHP is just a bunch of wrappers around C-based APIs. If you really look at how it was built up, that's what they're doing. They're using it as glue to glue separate things together. And the more you fight that, the more you try to make PHP... Uh, I talk about this, about the, especially with the framework stuff. It's like the, it, your framework should really be an implementation detail. You should be able to swap out your framework with minimal amount of effort. But it, but, but it takes a lot of work to actually end up with an application where, where the framework is just an implementation detail. I've never successfully accomplished it. I'm sure there's some people have. Yeah, uh, well, the people I've seen claim they, they accomplished that. They actually just used a JavaScript framework and their PHP backend was interchangeable. Yeah. yeah. It was just yeah. a basic API, but there's still some kind of core somewhere. It's like somebody has to step up and put on the big, the big boy and big girl pants and say, look, the Wild West is only going to work for so long. There actually needs to be some standards for other people to follow. So you're kind of saying, as far as the, the PHP, uh, the PSR0 stuff and the, and the uh, framework interoperability group, it's, like, it's a good thing because people are laying a bunch of ground rules and they're saying, look, we are working as hard as we can to let people, uh, let people stuff talk to each other. And any barriers that get in the way are not good. It's all it comes down to ego and 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 uh, personal uh, plans and things that you want to do and agendas and things like that. I look at it and say this is awesome that some people whose opinion matters to a large number of people are taking the time to say, look, this is the way going forward. We want people to build things just so that everyone can benefit from from frameworks from component libraries, all that stuff to make it, you want as easy as possible for somebody to use something that you built. The, I think the time of where you have uh, large frameworks 
that are impenetrable and they can't be tested and they can't be extended, those times are they're going away because people are starting to say, this is too difficult. It's too difficult for me to extend things. It's too difficult for me to just simply customize. Frameworks should have really tiny cores and everything else is just a, a library you can include. That's, that's really how I think things should be. Yeah, definitely agree. And it's great. No, no, it's great that we're kind of entering this post-framework world in PHP. And if you look at Laravel or Symphony, they're, they're actually embracing it pretty much right away. So, like, Laravel 4, you know, it's using a bunch of Symphony components. Or if you don't want to use any framework at all, you can use Symphony components or Laravel components in just a straight PHP file with no framework. And it's, it's great to have that flexibility. We're doing that at the moment. So at Capture, the company I work for, I completely forgot to men mention them in, in my introduction, which I'm still terrible at doing. Um, we're using the Slim framework uh, by, uh, by Josh Lockhart. Um, and it's a very good framework. It's light as shit. There's barely anything going on. It might as well be a procedural PHP file that has some sort of routing system. Um, we're using uh, we're using that, and we're using uh, currently we're using Elo Eloquent from from Laravel four. Now it might seem slightly ironic to be using a very lightweight framework and then using an ORM, um, but we we feel that like the, the the best way to build out an API very quickly is to use an ORM. You know, like we we need to get from like nothing to functional very quickly. So we've used a very lightweight framework, um, and then we've bunged in a composer package uh, package for for using an ORM. Um, and then we're coding out the features that we need, we're coding out the endpoints that we want to make them more functional, um, and then we can just go through and replace them with some raw queries later on once the, the product is finished. And the fact that we can do that is fucking amazing, because like, how many times have you heard, oh, I'm currently using Kohana, but I... <laughs> Sorry, I've never heard that. <laughs> uh, I'm currently using X Framework, and uh, I want to... I, I'd love to use this ORM, but I'd have to recode my entire system with it. It's stupid. Like, just to use another package from another framework, you shouldn't have to recode your entire application. You should just be able to change a line and say, I'd like to include that ORM instead of this ORM. And that is, um, it's, I don't think that's quite where PHP is right now, but that's where PHP will be in two or three months. I think it really says a lot that, that people have these problems of not being able to uh, swap um, libraries and tools um, in and out, is that, that people really... Learning how to decouple your code is something that you don't learn until it's like punched you in the nuts seven, eight, seven, eight, nine, a dozen times before you finally say enough. I'm sick and tired of having um, to deal with this because I find what happens is people people go one of two ways. They either decide to specialize in building applications with a specific framework and then they go all in and learn that framework inside and out or they get to be like me where I'm like I know I'm going to have to work on all sorts of different applications because I'm, I'm not the type of guy that's going to be creating my own frameworks and stuff but I'm going to need them to accomplish specific tasks. So for me it was far better to invest the time on learning how to actually build loosely coupled applications. I mean, as a self-taught guy, um, because my degree in, uh, that I have in, in computer science, uh, you couldn't even build anything for the web when I got my degree. That's how old I am. So, um, I mean, I was still surfing the web uh, in text only when I graduated. Nice. Links, so that, right. gives you, that gives you an idea of how long ago this was. So for someone who's self-taught about all the web stuff, you miss out. You, you, you miss out on understanding those things about decoupling and, and, and all those things that I know. I keep saying these things over and over again. It's like I'm going to keep saying them until, uh, until people understand why I say things like your framework needs to be implementation detail, why I say the Unix philosophy is a great way to 
make a complex system work. It's the idea of you have a whole bunch of things and you just chain them all together to accomplish great things. Because I, I, again, in some of my presentations, I had an awesome quote that I that I wish I could find attribution for. It's like simple systems can display complex behavior, but complex systems can only display simple behavior. Because when you have things that are complex, they're inflexible, they're difficult to adapt. Whereas if you have a, if you have a, an application that consists of ten little things, chances are you can make those things do uh, a larger number of things for you to accomplish specific tasks. Um, yeah. Also, I think. Also, I think that that web stuff, generally speaking, is you're talking about trying to write things in a stateless environment. Because um, one of the things you also quickly learn when you're when you build an application of um, sufficient scale that all the all the the touch points where state is required to be maintained are usually the things that end up causing you massive headaches shared sessions um, you know, database replication um, memcache filling up with useless key value pairs all that stuff so whereas for the most part unless you're using stuff that maintains state really well um, you know, you're, you're programming things in a stateless. Every request fires off, you do a bunch of stuff, and then that request gets forgotten. For most kind of, I guess what you would call desktop or non-networked non programming, yeah, you're all about the state because you're basically running in an event loop, and you're just sitting there waiting for the user or the system to do something. And I think it's really the height of arrogance for non-web developers to claim that somehow building things uh, on a network basis for a stateless environment is somehow inferior or not relevant or the the or the tools uh, the, that the tools and mindset that you use in one environment can't work in another I mean I think it's just ridiculous and you're 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 discounting the experiences and knowledges of a bunch of really super smart people when you start claiming that the web is the web is easy the web is not real programming um, these people need to understand that that their own relevance as as non-networked programmers is is it's getting smaller by the second. The future is highly interconnected devices. It just is, and to deny that is to deny your place in the future. Cash and some mad checks. <laughs> uh, while I completely agree with everything you just said, I think there is uh, like you're basically saying that the you know the web is stateless and that the software engineers are all about network devices that have to maintain constant state. But I, I think that right now, especially over the last year, uh, with with things like you know web sockets becoming far more popular, and even with things just like you're doing a whole bunch of AJAX shit that you need to keep the DOM up to date with, I think that we're actually starting to see that, that web developers, you know PHP developers, but web developers in general, are starting to have to worry way more about maintaining a, a live state than than we've been given credit for in the past, and then things like. All right, I know Meteor.js is basically a swear word, but if you're using something like Meteor.js or Node or, or Ember.js just as a front end for some API that's built with PHP that you're making, there is a lot more constant state stuff that happens. And it makes me very happy that all of these JavaScript developers are very used to unit testing their very small you know, modules and components. Um, but then for the PHP developers to just go, ah, we're going to have to bother unit testing mine, fuck it, is to me, you know, ridiculous as well so we have these guys that say why would you even bother unit testing PHP components and then we have PHP developers going oh, I don't even need to bother unit testing them and then we have everybody else in the entire web development community that unit tests fucking everything <laughs> it's just a really weird diversification of thought about why or when unit testing is uh, important. I, I think it's it's t I think it's personally think it's two things it's number one it's a cultural thing 
Um, it's a cultural thing that's driven by the more senior members of the community. If you look at Ruby, for example, when when Ruby on Rails came along um, and became the dominant tool that Ruby programmers were using, right from the beginning, the people who were instrumental in developing the framework were into testing. So it's pretty hard to sit there and say um, and say testing is nonsense and I don't see the point in doing it when the people who are creating and promoting and evangelizing the platform, they do it right from the beginning. Well, you look at Rails, right from the earliest versions of it, there was support for using um, generators that would generate the skeletons for your tests. It's impossible to ignore testing. In, you know, it takes a real leap of faith to build uh, Ruby on Rails apps and totally ignore the testing because it flies in the face of the entire culture. In PHP, People are so used to. I mean, you look at you look at Ruby. How many different? How many dominant frameworks are there on the Ruby side of things? You basically you have Rails and you have Sinatra. There was right? there was Sinatra. Oh, well, right. Sinatra's still going. There was Rails. Right. And there so was you have Merb, you have Rails. Rails eight yeah. So there yeah. were three Rails, Sinatra, <laughs> and then everything. Rails, Sinatra, and then on. everything else. Okay. So you look at PHP. There's like a zillion different frameworks, and each one has their different ideas on the way to do things and how much testing is required. I said, look, uh, I mean, I make good money teaching people how to test stuff. Writing tests for your application has value. If you, if you don't want to take advantage of that value, that's fine. Me using tests lets me, go home on, lets me go home on time from work. If you enjoy working late hours on your awesome idea and trying to diagnose a weird bug because you couldn't be bothered to write some fucking tests, well, you know what? That's your problem. And if you, you like working late and like working overtime and you think you're some sort of rock star programmer because you're still in the office pulling an 18-hour shift, well, more power to you. While you've been, writing that eight, while you've been working that 18-hour shift, I wrote a fucking book. So... You know, you tell me what you... <laughs> no, I completely agree. It's the whole, like, uh, hey, I worked 27 hours and I drank 38 gallons of coffee and I'm amazing bullshit that a lot of programmers need to drop and just think, why are you working that long? If you're working that long, you're doing something wrong. You need to write more tests. You need to not write such shitty code. You need to hire somebody else or you need to get your boss to hire somebody else. But don't make yourself a martyr because you've been working for a long time, right? Like, why wouldn't you want to use tools that, that lets you achieve uh, your final result uh, in a bug-free manner? Because the, the thing that programmers don't understand uh, and that I've slowly come around to is that, is that for the most part, the people who use whatever web app that you're working on, they don't care what you built in it. They just care that it works. And it's very rare that you have an application where the vast majority, vast majority of the users actually care what programming language and tools it was implemented in. There, I mean, if you want to write anything that's going to make any kind of money for people, it's going to solve a problem for them. And they care about their problem being solved. They don't give a shit that you wrote it in Rails. They don't give a shit that you wrote it in Symfony. They don't care. They really don't care. I always think of my mother. If I were to write an app that would solve a problem that my mother has as a retired school teacher, she, it wouldn't even occur to her to worry about what it was written in. She just worries that it works. And, be, and I think if more developers just worried about making applications that work and stop arguing about what the thing was built with, the quality of the code would be a lot better and people would make a lot more money. Absolutely. Um, and the last thing that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to even mention is that I think for a long time people were not quite so concerned about unit tests because they were like, 
how, how useful is a unit test? If you work on a team, if you're working on a project, you're building all these unit tests and you have to run them manually before you commit them and no one can really check that they're live. Unless you set up some sort of complicated system like Jenkins or all these various other continuous integration tools. Now that we have Travis and uh, TravisCI.org, again, link in the show notes. Um, now that we have that tool available, and especially even so uh, in the last week or two, I think GitHub actually integrated it so that when someone sends you a pull request, it will run Travis CI and give you a green or a red light to say whether that's actually worked or not. I think now unit tests are made so insanely fucking easy for anyone to use that there is just no excuse anymore. Like, well, a year ago, I accept your excuse. Like, oh, you know, I've written these unit tests locally, but it's hard to share them on GitHub and blah, 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 blah. It's, there is no real excuse anymore to, to, if you're building a composer package, if you're building an application, if you're using a Laravel, you know, the Laravel framework, there is no excuse to not be writing unit tests. And if you don't write them, then you're probably just an idiot. They're incredibly simple to use. And, and the Travis CI integration has, has changed a lot of things, I think. Uh, just people, have, I think just people fall into really bad habits and, and their idea of testing is the is the browser refresh loop, where they make a change, they save it, they refresh the browser to see if their change to work. And I mean, uh, through my own personal experiences with test-driven development, I've built numerous features for fairly complex applications and proven that they worked without ever cracking open a browser. And I think when you when you actually sit down and think about what I just said, that should astound you, that I could build a lot of functionality into a web application without ever opening up a browser. I mean, at, at this point in time, it will never be it will never be difficult to write tests for your application, right? All that infrastructure is there. Jenkins is easy to use. Travis CI is easy to use. Uh, PHP Unit uh, is easy to use. GitHub integrates those things. Everything keeps shoving at you and saying, "Look, we're every day we're making it easier for you to write tests." and get them to automatically run and let you know when you've done something wrong. Why people don't want to take advantage of that is beyond me. It makes so much sense as a developer who's being paid money to do something that you should want to use every possible tool at your disposal to make sure that you're going home on time. I mean, that's just that's my whole goal. I don't want to work late. I don't want to work late on anything. I write tests to make sure I go home on time. And that's, I think, a brilliant soundbite. And um, I'll tell you what, we've been talking for an hour now, so I think we might as well just leave it there. Um, so, Chris, a massive thank you for, for joining us on the show. Um, and, and Ben, obviously, thank you for, thank you for coming back as the co-host. Uh, and um, if you guys have any questions, then please do hit us up on Twitter. It's at PHP Town Hall. Um, if you have uh, if you have any suggestions, any any topics, any questions you'd like us to ask, any suggestions for guests, hit us up, um, and we will try and get them sorted for the next show, which will be in two or three weeks. So thank you very much for listening, and um, and good night. Good night, internet. Thanks, listeners. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next time. That was a shit goodbye, Ben. You suck.